The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to another edition of Between the Links here on MMAfighting.com, coming off the final pay-per-view event of the year for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC 256, a card that I am still jacked up about, and I cannot wait to talk more about it as we approach the final UFC card of 2020 this Saturday at the Apex, UFC Vegas 17, but no time to waste. And you thought the flyweight title fight between Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno was epic? How about this title rematch on Between the Links? A trilogy matchup, if you will, although this might end up being like a best of seven, best of 11. We'll see what happens, but let's get to it. First, we introduce the challenger, the Yoel Romero of Between the Links. The man loses these close debated decisions when the title is on the line. Earns shot after shot, but can he regain the title this week against his bitter rival from MMAfighting.com? Jed Mishu, welcome, sir. My, that is a, a fine T-shirt you're wearing. Oh, this old thing? This guy will fight circus action? Look, the Yoel Romero comp, I love it, both because I love Yoel Romero and because it's true. The only reason I'm not the champion is based drudgery and conspiracy by a lot of people on this show who will not be named Mike Heck, who screwed me out of my <laughs> rightful title. But I'm here to correct that and do so in epic, epic stylish fashion. Welcome back to the show, Jed. And our returning <laughs> champion, back to defend his crown for the first time. You can find his work over at The Athletic, one of the best in the game, one of the best wordsmiths in the game as well. Our old friend, the champ is here, Sean Shadi. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. It is glad I'm glad to be back. And that's such a good intro. The champ is here. I love that. Uh, Yoel Romero feels like an apt comp because I think what Yoel Romero, when he left the UFC, he was what? 0-3 in title fights. Really 0-2 because he missed weight. 
that feels like a good comparison for what this is going to be. I don't know how this keeps happening. I'm the Demetrius Johnson. He's the Joseph Benavides out here. Somehow he keeps getting these undeserved title shots, but we'll make sure to put him in his place. It's fine. No, no, no. Sorry. You're confused. You're Vanderlei Silva. You won under very shady circumstances twice before. And now that the fields are even and we have a real judge here, everything's going to go according to plan. Rampage going to run wild on you. I will take a, a Vanderlei Silva comp any day of the week. Are you kidding me? I'm going to get a skull tattoo next week. Let's do it. <laughs> Ooh, are, are you going to go Jeff the Band? Or are you going to go full like Kevin Lee helmet? I can't, I can't do the helmet. That's a rough tattoo. <laughs> I can't support that one. <laughs> well, we can talk about head tattoos and helmet tattoos till the sun goes down, but uh, there's just so much to talk about in regards to UFC 256. So let's just start right at the top, the main event for the flyweight title, the incredible battle between Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. They fight to a draw. One judge scores it for Figueredo. Of course, he was deducted a point in the third round for one of the most gnarly kick to the nads you will ever see and or hear in a championship fight and look the, the fight was tremendous we're going to break down some of the different storylines that come out of it but sean let us begin with you before we start the ins and outs here your overall reaction to the fight itself it was just such a damn good title fight it just stole the show what did you think of it overall it was unbelievable man i mean that's why you love this sport right that's why we do the, what we do and, and cover this sport and dedicate our lives to this sport nights like that that was one of those nights where you end the night and you're just so giddy and you're so full of adrenaline you're so ramped up from what you just saw that you can't go to sleep for like five hours like i'm sure all of us were just up super late uh we would be up late anyway working but like i'm sure a lot of people out there who watch that were just up super late because that's one of those fights man i think it's not hyperbole to say it's the greatest fight flyway fight i've ever seen in my life uh that is an instant classic and that's also one of those where it's almost cool that it's a draw like i don't i i oftentimes i don't like draws in any sport but that is one of those where you walk away like man the setup for this if divas and figueredo we find out is in the hospital until 2 a.m the night before uh sick with a stomach virus he, he it's three week turnaround for him. Brandon Moreno, guy who was ranked 16 out of 16 on his ultimate fighter season, guy who was cut from the UFC during the great flyweight exodus just a couple of years ago. And again, three week turnaround for him too. And you're going to come and put that performance on with all those circumstances. I love it, man. Give these guys a full camp. Now I, I can't wait for the, for them to run this back all time classic. And I loved every second of it. What did you think of it, Jed? Was this uh, fight circus enough for you? I, I, I mean, I thought it was phenomenal. Did you enjoy it as much as the rest of us did? Look, Mike, I'm a, I'm a man of layers and complexity. I can enjoy the, the wonder and beauty of fight circus as much as I can. You know, a, a pretty, pretty solid, good old-fashioned slobber knocker. And the main event was way better than that. Uh, look, it, I, don't, I don't think it's the fight of the year. I still think it, it uh, is a little bit behind uh, Zhang Wiley and Yuani Jacek from early this year. I know that hindsight, uh, or not hindsight, I guess a recency bias plays a heavy role in stuff like this, but that fight is still a little superior just because of the fifth round from this past weekend. But probably, I would say, is the greatest flyweight fight of all time. You know, there's not a ton of competition for it in that regard. Uh, and it was just awesome. Like, you know, I hate to say that I agree with him ever for any reason because he's usually stupid and always wrong. But <laughs> I, I do agree with Sean uh, that this, you know, a, a draws an okay outcome here uh, just because I, I'm i happy with it. I ultimately scored the battle draw uh, when I was scoring it. 
and you know no no losers in this fight here everybody walks away a winner uh and it just means we're going to get it get it again and i'm really excited for a fight that i wasn't super excited about beforehand it was fine and i was interested now i'm i'm really looking forward to their rematch sometime next year all right, let me go back to you, Sean, because, you know, Jed mentioned the judges' scorecards. He scored it a draw, and the scorecards have been a topic of discussion, mostly because there was one judge who gave Brandon Moreno the fifth round, which I didn't see anybody in Twitter land or anywhere score that round Judy for Tiro Brandon Camichi. Moreno. Yeah. Judy Chiro yeah, Yes, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, but that's what led to this fight being a draw at the end of the day, was that one judge scoring that for Brandon Moreno. So Jed scored it a draw. How did you score it? Did, did, did the judges get it right? Did you score it a draw? Or did you think Figueroa won? Yeah, that fifth round, that scorecard, that's going to get forgotten as one of the all-time bad scorecards, at least for 2020. Because, like, what, did Brandon Moreno throw, like, eight strikes that entire round? Like, you can't blame him. Like, he was exhausted, and he was hurt, and he was, you know, exasperated, and, like, all of this. You can't blame him. But, like... What? How do you how do you get that a Brandon Moreno round? Uh, but yeah, I, I I scored it one three five for the champ and two four for Moreno with obviously the third round the very very correct point deduction by Jason Herzog. I just want to go on a little tangent really fast. I love that Jason Herzog did that because the fact that you're allowed basically like two or three free fouls is ridiculous in MMA. It's a very stupid thing because you kind of, you can do give a, a ball shot and then you can do an eye poke and then maybe you can grab the fence and then at some point we're going to start taking away some some points and penalizing you. I love that that was a very significant moment. It was obviously a hard, hard groin shot. The the sound on that was really tough. Uh, and and Jason Herzog did the right thing. He's, one of, he's by far one of the best referees in the entire sport, if not the best in my opinion. Uh, on The Athletic, we did an anonymous fighter survey earlier in the year where we talked to almost 300 different fighters and Herb Dean ended up taking best referee of all these fighters opinions. But Jason Herzog was, was second and it wasn't even close. Like he, he, he is low key. One of the best people in this sport to, to manage those type of situations. Love that he did that. But yeah, I scored a one, three, five for the champ, uh, two, four for the challenger. And that comes to a draw on my card. Did you have it the same Jed on, on your round by round cards? Uh, no, I gave the first two to the champ. Uh, I gave Moreno uh, three and four um, with with the uh, extra point there. And then the fifth, uh, uh, Sean, again, begrudgingly, is totally right. There's actually no viable way to score the fifth round for Brandon Moreno. Uh, Figueredo landed literally twice as many strikes. His strikes were subjectively far more effective than the little – that Moreno did land. Moreno clinched him against the fence some, but the one true takedown of the round was landed by Figueroa. So to me, that that scorecard from Camillo reeks of a post hoc evaluation of how they wanted the fight to end. Uh, and so they just they knew that they had already scored it out in such a way. And so they gave Moreno the draw that they felt retroactively he probably deserved because that's the only explanation that makes any sense at all for how that fifth round is scored. But yeah, like. I scored a 47-47. If you gave it to Figueredo, I'd be okay with that. Um, I mean, you know, frankly, Figueredo probably won the fight, if we're being honest, even with the point deduction. He clearly, I think, was more damaging, more effective in those kind of traditional scoring methods we like to think about. If this was pride rules, Figgy Smalls is, is still your champion, and he has another win under his belt. But again, I'm really happy with the outcome because it means we get to do this again. Jed, when you look at like the stocks of these fighters coming out of Saturday night, I, I think Figueredo is like on the way to be 
I don't know if superstar is like the right word, but he carries himself like he is one. I feel like his story is starting to come out more and people look at him as a very intriguing, fascinating individual at 125 pounds. Brandon Moreno, I feel like we're starting to get to know a little bit more. He's got a great personality. Just He's honestly one of my favorite interviews in the sport right now. And I've learned that more and more throughout 2020. I'm actually be talking to him again tomorrow. So I'm pretty excited about that. Was this a big stock rise for Figueredo, for Moreno? or the flyweight division? Like whose stock do you think rose the most after Saturday night? I mean, I think the flyweight division stock rose the most. Uh, look, I think you're right. Moreno take, gets a bump up. He took the champion, you know, five hard rounds, showed that he is just made of granite or some alloy of mithril and adamantium. I don't know. He just couldn't get hurt, which is super impressive. Uh, Figgy Smalls is maybe now my favorite fighter in the UFC because of just the absurd drip the man had coming into the cage and even after as a man of style, if nothing else. And he definitely carries himself like a champion. He's great. But I mean, look, this is a division that was, it was on the chopping block. Dana White made no bones about it. He's very open about wanting to get rid of it, discussing, you know, getting rid of 125 as a whole. And after this event, he comes out and says, you know, Way to go, Mick Maynard. 125 is one of the best divisions we have in the sport now. He clearly really likes Figueredo as a champion. Uh, and honestly, that's half the battle. Like, if if Dana White had ever liked Demetrius Johnson, they probably could have done something more with 125. But he didn't. And so 125 just kind of floundered for a little bit. They have a champion who is interesting and exciting. He's awesome. And they like him now on top of it. Like, I think that there's a ton of future promise here for the flyweight division, frankly. So to me, easily the division wins as a whole because, you know, those other boats are also being lifted by that tide. What do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I mean, this is the type of fight that I think the flyweight division has desperately needed and and the type of validation maybe that the flyweight division has desperately needed since DJ's glory days and even probably beforehand because – you're right. I think Divas and Figueredo, the, the Divas and Figueredo era is so fun, right? Like I am really, really enjoying the Divas and Figueredo era. And so I think I agree that the stock rises for flyweight division, but it also rises for these two too as well, right? Brandon Moreno was someone who I think a lot of people weren't given much of a chance. Uh, again, it was he wasn't even in the UFC a couple years ago and he was cut from the promotion. And now I think for the rest of his career, he has this to hang his hat on. If nothing else, people are going to be excited much more so to watch Brandon Moreno moving forward. And I am just all in on any Divas and Figueredo fight at this point. Like, he, that man is entertainment personified in a way that I loved DJ. Uh, DJ was one of the greatest fighters of all time. He is still the greatest flyweight by far of all time to ever compete. But Divas and Figueredo is just fun in a different way. And I think a, a way that's more easily translatable maybe or a way that maybe just hits me in a better note. I am, I am more excited for Divas and Figueredo fights right now than I think I ever was for DJ fights. And I don't, I don't, that's not a condemnation on DJ in any way, but I just love what this guy has done. I still think he is the fight. I know we'll get to it later, but I, I still think he is the fighter of the year and, and, and everybody's stock comes out of this just smelling like roses. This is, this was a fantastic card and the way they finished it off, uh, I think was just perfect. His what English do you mean is you getting love a DJ? Sean's over here trying to kill Mighty Mouse like he's not still competing and beating ass in one championship. This is bias, and he should lose the round for that alone. Get rid of this guy who loved DJ. I still love DJ. He's the man, Sean. I still have DJ ranked above Figueredo on our like on our 
pound for pound rankings yeah, on the athletic. What does that even mean? I still love him because he's still doing stuff. Sure, but I think, I think most he, MMA fans, I would say 20 MM, 19 MMA fans out of 20 could not name a single person he has beaten since he left the UFC. I'm not sure I can, but that doesn't matter, Sean. It's not important. <laughs> okay, so beat. you really love it him. The love that you carry in your heart, and I have a great amount of love for a man who threw another human being in the air and armbarred his ass on the way down. I think you. I think actually in the clip of that, you can see me in the background. Okay, should I just go on? <laughs> like just, just freaking out. Like, yeah, what like one of the three best highlights in the sports history. Also, let me just go back to your question, Mike, so I can add on here and steal this round. Uh, if if me throwing Sean under the bus wasn't enough to do that. I think the other reason I would list the flyweight division as the big winners here outside of what we talked about is not just as Dana White behind them now. They have something to build now. Like, you know, what was always the big thing for DJ? He didn't have a rival. You know, he he had those fights with Benavidez. He had fights with Dodson. But there was never, like, a real rivalry to build. And the one time they would have had it, then they traded him because they just hated Mighty Mouse for whatever reason and didn't want to run a trilogy back with Cejudo. They have, like, this is an automatic rematch that we're about to get. They're going to be able to build both guys off this. Figueredo wins. He gets to keep building. If it's another close fight, maybe Moreno gets another couple of wins and comes back and they do a trilogy fight. You know, as we know, on this very show right here, trilogy sell, and they have the makings of a really good rivalry in the flyweight division. Sean. It's not a trilogy when you're 0-2. It's not a trilogy when you're 0-2. That's not what this is. Yes, it is. There's still no. three fights. <laughs> also, the second one was trash. It's not even on YouTube. You're too afraid to put your face up. But, like that, that was, was my, my decision. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, All I'm hearing is constant excuses. This is ridiculous. You're just constant excuses. Truth. I'm just telling the fans the truth. You paid Mike off not to put it on YouTube. You didn't want. Your I'm just face saying. To I'm about positivity. You are clearly about negativity. That's all. Well, I'm about the circus, baby. I'm about the circus. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's let, let's continue on with this because I, I got to gain some sort of semblance of control here. Sean, Jed sort of mentioned it. You mentioned fight of uh, fighter of the year, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But you know, I, I'm sure at the Athletic, and I know we're doing this in MMA fighting. We're smack dab in the middle of getting the awards together for end of year, and you know, this event took some of the no brainers from earlier this year, and now it's created some debate. So. Jed said not quite fighter of the year in terms of this flyweight title fight, but in, in regards to how good this fight actually was, Sean Elshadi, it seemed as if the strawweight title between Zhang Weili and Yuani and Jacek would be runaway for fight of the year. It seemed like it happened like a decade ago, considering everything that has happened in 2020. This one has found its way into the conversation, at least. And I know this is as recency bias of a sport as there is around the world, but did Figueroa Moreno, I don't know, if did, did it become the front runner no. in your mind? Is it at least no. in the conversation? No, no, it's not. It's in the conversation, absolutely. I think on most normal years, this would either be number one or at at minimum number two for fight fight of the year. But no, I mean, I know it feels like forever, and it was weird for me to even try to remember on Saturday, like, oh yeah, like February, I guess, was part of 2020. Uh, but no, it's it's Wiley Zhang versus Yuan Yanjacek. That's the greatest uh, women's fight in the history of the sport. That's probably one of the greatest fights in the history of the sport. Period. Uh, it's and I think what really edges it over Moreno Figueroa is the fifth round because the fifth round in that fight 
was still every ounce as dramatic as the 20 minutes before that preceded it because it was they those women were still going for it and you had what was going on with Yone and Jacek's head felt looking like an alien sprouting out of it the ghost of Mark Hominick uh that whereas on Saturday the fifth round understandably these dudes were a little tired and they maybe did not keep the pace up in the fifth round I think that alone pushes it over plus you had fans in the arena i think that always adds something also i was there in person for that one and so that was just a crazy experience but i, I think it has to be Wei Li zhang versus going and jacek to me anything else smacks of recency bias is this number two jed i know we've had some yeah. good ones poirier hooker was great uh shane burgos josh emmett was great is this number two no i think this is number two i'm i'm you know if you want to put one of the other ones up above it i'm not opposed to it i think this fight was really great i do think uh in retrospect you know as we watch it a lot more i think that fifth round is gonna kind of knock it down even more than we sort of think like uh and so maybe it being number two is even a little bit of recency bias but no i mean sean was right uh Zhang Jacek is the greatest women's fight of all time. For my money, it's one of the five best fights of all time in general. Uh, I mean, that thing was just bananas from A to B. And this one is definitely just not quite there, but a really good fight in many years. It could be fight of the year. And I think right now I'd have it as number two uh, ahead of Hooker Poirier. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to quibble with that, I'd be fine, just as long as you're not putting it above uh Zhang Wiley and Yoni on Jacek because that's I think that's a pretty clear number one for me. So let's let's discuss the aftermath of this incredible fight because everyone's been screaming for a rematch. That's what draws do. Dana White said there will be a rematch in 2021 whenever these two guys are ready because they just fought twice in three weeks. But let me ask you this, Jed. Considering like if you dive deep into this, you look at the three judges. They all would have had it for Figueroa without the point deduction. The third judge gave the fifth round for Moreno. If you look at MMA decisions, and I know this isn't the end-all, be-all, out of 27 media members on MMA decisions, 13 scored it for Figueredo, 14 for a draw, not one scored it for Brandon Moreno. But if you had the proverbial pencil right now, if it was up to you, all things considered, are you booking the rematch right away, or are you going a different direction? Yeah, Mike, if I had wheels, I'd be a wagon. Like, I, I don't, and what how, like that point was deducted for a reason, and the outcome is, is the same. In a rematch, do I think Figueredo wins? Probably. But I think this is like if I'm getting the pencil, hundred percent. I'm just I'm talking to both guys, letting them heal up, giving them plenty of time. Because that's the other thing we haven't really talked about a lot. They turned around on such quick time. Like neither man prepared for the other, really. It was three weeks. You know, Figueredo probably spent most of that keeping his weight in check and just came and do his thing. Moreno, I know, was a little lighter than Figueredo, doesn't have as big a cut, but there still wasn't like a full-blown training camp to get prepared for each other. We have not, we did not see the best possible version of of each man, if only because Figgy was in the hospital until two in the morning beforehand. Like, I absolutely want to see these guys run it back with full camps, more time to prepare. Moreno's still young and improving a lot, so more time for him to get better. Like, yeah, a hundred percent, I'm doing that, especially because. What else do you care about in flyweight right now? Like, I guess Cody Garbrandt, if you wanted to, but you don't need to pull the trigger on that. That exists forever as long as you want it. Cody Garbrandt can just do whatever at bantamweight for a little while or maybe take another flyweight fight. Um, right now, there is actually a legitimate, interesting top contender in the division, and you should run with that until this gets settled. And then 
Askar Askarov can figure it out or whatever. But yeah, build this fight, and however it goes, you're setting up a trilogy down the line that's just going to be good business for everybody. Here's the thing, Sean. I I agree. This is the rematch is the way to go. I want to see these guys go again on full camps. I really want. I'm fascinated by it. But if there was one loser on Saturday night, it was Cody Garbrandt. I mean, he was the guy that was originally slotted in to a title fight before anybody. You don't think so? You think he wins on Saturday? No, I think if he, yeah, because he didn't have to fight Davis and Figueredo and he would have gotten launched into orbit by the right hands Figgy was landing on Moreno. So I I could say, you could argue that Cody Garbrandt got his ass saved from a whooping. So maybe he is a winner. All right, but he still wants to fight for the belt. He still wants to drop 25. He wants to fight Figueredo. He wants to fight for the title. And yes, he's a former champion. Yes, he's probably the biggest name in this division right now based on what he's done in his career. I I assume you agree, Sean, that he's the guy that that we run back the rematch. But if you're the UFC and if you're Cody Garbrandt, what do you do? Because I feel like the fans have, I don't think they, they love Cody Garbrandt, but since this whole talk about dropping the flyweight, losing the fight, and then saying the things that he said, I feel like he's, not in the good graces of the people right now. So would it be in his best interest if he wants to stay at 125 to just take a fight at 125 against somebody else before fighting for the title? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, to me, I thought that was an undeserved title shot from the beginning. I, I don't, so that I don't really frankly care if Tony, if Cody Garbrandt was like a loser this weekend, because to me, that was always just the space filler anyway. That didn't really make a lot of sense. That felt like them just trying to put another big name uh, at the top of the shortcut in the line here at flyweight. Cause I know people still know, like, and know Cody Garbrandt, but to me that never felt like a real proper title fight. Anyway, the guy's on like a one fight winning streak. He didn't really deserve that in any way. Uh, it just kind of happened by default. So for me, I mean, Cody Garbrandt is another guy who, who I'm sure we're going to get a, a couple of these over the, over the next couple of months as we learn more about, you know, people's recovery and stuff, but he's another person who seems to have been hit pretty hard by COVID. Who, who really kind of struggled through it. And so I, there we've seen this in other sports as well, football, basketball. Some guys, some athletes who get hit by this and, and it takes them a while to really get back to normal. I think it's probably the best interest of him to, to, to go get another fight before he fights for the title here. So this might actually work out for him because I think if he goes into against fight, Davis and Figueredo in any sort of diminished state, that is not a good idea or a good option for him whatsoever. I, I, I think the idea of getting him one here at flyweight before he gets that title shot, in particular now, uh, after he is dealing with everything he's dealing with, is the way to go for him. Agreed. This fight on Saturday kicked ass. I loved it. Want to see it again. Um, I want to see how both guys kind of react to the beatings each one of them took and then how they bounce back with full camps. And I want to see Garbrandt take a fight first. I think at this point, he he may be shouting to deaf ears on getting a title fight, wanting to fight Henry Cejudo. None of those things look to be happening. Get in there with someone like Manel Cape, who was the backup fighter. It helps Manel Cape too, because a lot of people saw him get on the scale. Hardcore fans know exactly who Manel Cape is, but UFC fans are just... It's a great that's fight. A great, it's the fight that's to make. a great... That is a great, great suggestion. I love that fight. You like that, Jed? You giving credence to to my pick for once in your career? Oh, I mean, it'd be really fun. But uh, I think it would be really fun to watch Cody Garbrandt get knocked out by anybody. So, yeah, of course I think that'd be a fun fight. Um, Cody Garbrandt is really – he excels at getting his doors blown off. Um, and so putting him in a fight that he would lose is great. So, yeah, I'm sign me up, I guess. 
if I'm Garbrandt, <laughs> I, if I'm Garbrandt, I wouldn't take it. Like though, I mean, just being honest, like Garbrandt basically has a title shot at 125 whenever he wants. Um, I mean, not whenever he wants because I do think Moreno has now jumped in front of him, but there's no reason for him to take a 125 fight if that's going to jeopardize a title shot for him. Like he doesn't need to cement it. So if he wants to fight while he waits for Figgy to handle it, I mean, he called out Henry Cejudo. That's obviously not going to happen. But if he wants to take a fight, he should probably just fight somebody else at 135 and kind of keep trying to climb that ladder because he's already at the top of the 125 ladder. So again, the fight would be fine. It just he's not going to take it, and he shouldn't. So not not going to think too heavy on it. The yeah. how dismissive you are of Cody Garbrandt is pretty stunning. The man's lost to two people in his entire life, one of whom was very juiced up. And like, what <laughs> you're just talking about him like he's some schmuck off the street. I mean, he's still Cody, he's still Cody up. Garbrandt. He still put it, he still destroyed a decently post prime, like Dominic Cruz, like in a way that was maybe one of the most impressive performances I've seen in my life. Like, to write him off in the way that you are is pretty testing right now. Who's juiced up? TJ Dillashaw? I mean, we have literally no belief that he was juiced up. Like, Cody said it, but Cody says a lot of things that are terrible. Like, we know that TJ Dillashaw was on the gas for Cejudo. I'm willing to believe he wasn't on the gas when he bolted Garbrandt twice. Like, I just – I also, like, look, I think Cody Garbrandt's a good fighter. I don't think he has a great chin. Uh, which he can't really help that. It's not his fault. I just don't think he has it. But I also think that he is, I think he's a good fighter who is way overhyped. Like he had the Cruz win sensational. Not going to take anything away from that. He didn't deserve to get that title fight in the first place and then promptly lost his belt, got knocked out three times. And yes, again, a sunset, great win, tremendous fighter. That's it. Like he's got two really good wins in his career. He just the way his career broke, he happened to have a title and he got a big push. But like, I don't know. In some respects, I feel about him like I feel about Connor. Like I know that they are good fighters, but I don't really have a feeling for how good they actually might be because they just haven't done the work in the divisions to really have a great sure. sense of oh yeah. Sure, that's fair. I'm just that. saying that is absolutely fair. I'm just saying the dismissiveness with which you treat him is very uh He's he's gonna get into the cage. He's gonna wing right hands against his opponent as soon as he gets into a bit of a brawl. And if the other dude cannot fall down, then he's gonna lose because when he gets hit, he's gonna fall down. We saw it three times. It's just gonna have that is. I said this. I think my very first iteration on this show was me saying that Cody Garbrandt versus Figueredo was an awesome fight because they were just gonna get into a right hook competition until Cody Garbrandt exploded. And I still believe that to be the case. I just think the same thing would happen with Manel Kate. Like, I'll, I just think that that's true. Like, Garbrandt, I, I'm willing to be wrong. He's young enough to have improved and got, get better. But until I see him not get blasted by the first right hook that gets thrown at him, I'm going to just keep, keep living that truth. <laughs> I agree with you, Jed. If I'm Cody Garbrandt, I want nothing to do with that fight from a competitive standpoint and from, like, a professional standpoint. You got a title shot. If you're trying to get back in the good graces of the fans, you take them in LK fight. And if you win, then you're good to go. But still, that's a very dangerous risk that you're taking. Yeah, for like no game, literally no game. <laughs> like if he wins, he gets the challenge for the title that he already gets to do if he just waits. So it's a high risk, 
zero reward when instead like he ostensibly still wants to be the bantamweight champion so he's gonna need some more wins there as well so he can just fight another bantamweight and keep climbing that ladder and come back to 125 whenever the mood suits him be interesting to see who they would match him up with at 35 but we will move ahead in this in this matchup because there's still so much to talk about the point for round one goes to the champ sean al shadi he's on the board up one to nothing. What an excellent round that was. Jed is disappointed. It is what it is. But uh. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We go from the flyweights to the lightweights because everybody was looking forward to the chaos that was to ensue in the co-main event on Saturday night between Tony Ferguson and Charles Oliveira. And what happened was that chaos was completely one-sided. Charles Oliveira, Dubronx, dominates Tony Ferguson in route to a unanimous decision, almost took El Kakui's arm home with him at the end of the first round. What a performance from Oliveira, Jed Mishu. I was blown away by it. How surprised were you that the fight played out the way that it did on Saturday? Pretty surprised. And uh, first and foremost, shout out to Casey because he he called it from the jump. I I did pre- predict Oliveira would win. Uh, I thought that he was going to get an early lead, maybe fade a little down the stretch, but still have enough uh, in the tank to have won two rounds. Uh, and take the decision. I remember thinking that if this was a five-round fight, it probably favored Ferguson. But afterwards, clearly wouldn't have mattered if this was a 10-round fight. It just would have been a lot more room for Oliveira to beat the hell out of Tony. Like I I thought, like I said, I thought Oliveira was going to have a good opening round because Tony is a slow starter. But the ease with which he was able to get takedowns, control on the ground, and then that armbar was nasty. Like, I mean... This was just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance from Oliveira. I said after the fight that it was hard for me to know how much of it was Oliveira's great and how much of it is Tony is older, uh, if if that's even a factor at all. It's, it's just tough to know. We'll have to see. You know, Hindsight will give us a little more concept on that, I guess. But, I mean, regardless, the best one of Oliveira's career, the best performance of his career by far, and pour one out for what could have been with Habib versus Tony. What did you think of the performance, Sean? Is this kind of what you expected to happen, or were you surprised by by everything that went down? Yeah, I mean, I'll focus on Charles Oliveira at first because I know I've been the the conductor of the Tony Ferguson bandwagon for probably like seven years at this point. So it was a sad it was a sad one for me to watch. But I mean, man, Charles Oliveira, uh, 
I think it's official at this point. He's a main player at lightweight. And, and you can't, there's no denying it at this point. That that would I agree with with a lot of things Jed said there. I mean, the, the way in which that fight went down was just the one-way traffic of it, how dominating it was. That was thoroughly, thoroughly impressive. Uh, and, and, and really that arm bar, that felt to me in the moment like it was about to be Frank Mir versus Tim Sylvia all over again. That we were just about to see somebody's arm just snap in half uh, on live TV and I was not here for it. <laughs> that, was, that was gruesome, man. I think most normal people will submit in that moment. Uh, Tony Ferguson is just a maniac. But I mean, Charles Oliveira has such a fascinating case study to look at, right? Because this is a guy who's been in our lives for, I don't even know, 10 years, eight years, something like that. And if you look at his strength of schedule from the very beginning, from Jump Street until now, he has faced the best of the best in two different divisions for the better part of eight to 10 years. Like his strength of schedule, I would put up against almost anybody in the sport. If you if you just look at the names that he has fought, and he's won one and he's, he's lost some, but he has just been fighting the best athletes and the best talent in the sport for a long time now. And we have really watched this guy come into his own. Watching him Saturday night, it was stunning to think that this guy fought at featherweight because he was bigger than Tony Ferguson. He he did not look like a guy who had at any point moved up a division to to, to join lightweight. He was huge, man. Just, it was only a couple of years ago that this guy was winning all of his fights at lightweight and then using his post-fight interviews to beg and plead the UFC to please let him go down to featherweight again because he can do it. And it's just a wild thing to think about. It's a very wild sport. Uh, and, and this is this feels to me like a very similar rise to like a RDA type of th- type of situation where you have a guy who's sort of winning some, losing some. He's maybe not the best fighter, but he's definitely not the worst fighter. And he's just kind of in this middle ground. Then all of a sudden, just late into his maybe not even late into his career, but sort of midway into his career, he finds himself and becomes whatever the best possible version of himself was. And we he was just out there ragdolling Tony Ferguson, which. I know that we we saw Justin Gaethje thoroughly demolish Tony Ferguson just earlier this year, but I don't know that we've ever seen somebody ragdoll Tony Ferguson like that. Really, just without any pushback at all. Uh, it was absolutely wild, and I know we'll get to the Khabib Ferguson aspect of it. But man, yeah, pour one out to to the lost fight of of our era at lightweight because we that's never coming back. I was holding out hope, and maybe that was silly of me, and maybe that makes me a sucker and a mark for for holding out hope after May that maybe we could find some way to get Ferguson Habib. But yeah, that thing's dead. That dream is dead and it's not coming back, unfortunately. Back to you, Sean. Charles Oliveira has now won eight in a row. Breakout performance on Saturday. And of course, we got a big fight on January 23rd between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Massive fight. We have Justin Gaethje. We have Michael Chandler in this division. It seems like as if those guys will likely collide on January 23rd, although nothing has been made official. But that's kind of what we assume here. Where does Charles Oliveira now fit in this equation? Where does he go after this win over a guy like Tony Ferguson in a division that has just so loaded up the top? So it's a really tough spot, right? Because we're all just waiting on Habib. Like they, it, everything is dependent on the decision that Habib makes, whether he wants to fight this or even just whether make- he wants to con- But I, I, I understand, but... I understand, but they're perpetuating this. And so if they're perpetuating this, we have to entertain to some degree that maybe there is a chance that he comes back. Hey, I don't I don't think he will. But I don't think he will. But maybe he will. We'll see. Regardless, that if he does, that kind of helps out Charles Oliveira because right now Charles Oliveira is the odd man out. If if you just mentioned those four, I agree. Those are the four, right? Gaethje, 
uh, Chandler probably going to fight. And then we got Dustin and Connor. That just leaves Oliveira as the fifth man. If, if Habib comes back and he does want to defend his title, that's a, then a group of six. He can maybe find a matchup. Otherwise, he might just be stuck waiting for a chance to, to fight the winner of one of those two matchups, if that's what we end up getting, or just really just waiting for those to play out. Yeah, he might he might just be stuck waiting at this point for, for these matchups to play out. But I will say, man, I came away from Saturday night surprised at the idea that I've never thought of Oliveira and Nurmagomedov as just a fascinating stylistic matchup because a lot of the stuff he was doing there was things that we would have thought that Tony Ferguson would be doing against the beat, right? The really awkward grappling, the, all the all the different Granby roles and just stuff that he would be doing to try to defend the takedowns and the bot and what he could do from bottom position and, and things like that. I find myself suddenly hyper intrigued by the idea of Nurmagomedov Oliveira. I know it will never happen because if Habib does come back, it's for George St. Pierre or something like that. And that's it. But man, I wish we could see that because that to me would have been such a monster fun stylistic fight. Jed, your thoughts on where he sits, and and, and let me let, let me shout out our good friend Alex K. Lee because he has been on the show and he has said some asinine, unbelievable things that he can never take back that are is in the the realm of the internet forever. But one thing he did said did say on Saturday after the fight made me think a little bit, and he's probably he might be right. Is Charles Oliveira without Habib in the mix? Is he the best one fifty five er in the world right now? I think not, um, but he's in the mix, you know, like uh, to address what Sean just said, I, I, I of course would watch Habib fight anybody. So I'd be happy to watch him fight Charles Oliveira. Uh, I think that fight is one way traffic for Habib because I think all fights are one way traffic for Habib. Yeah. I think and it comes back to that. All fights, all fights are one way yeah, traffic for Habib. Yeah. All fights are one. That, that was honestly one of my big takeaways from this fight card is like, I felt really vindicated in for, years i have said that a tony habib fight is a great and it matters on paper because of their level and, and what they've accomplished and and thir- 12 and 0 versus 12 and 0 like that's that means something and we're never going to get that back but i d- thought the in cage product just wouldn't be that interesting because trying grand roll on khabib and he's just gonna stick on top of you and still beat the hell out of you i think this fight just showed that like if you imagine Habib, if if you want to think, well, what, how would the Habib fight have looked? It would have looked exactly like Saturday, only instead of holding position, you know, and working him over a little bit, he would have just been pounding Tony's face into the mat because that's what Habib does to everybody. And I feel like the same thing would be for Oliveira. So again, love to watch it because I'll watch Habib fight anybody. But, you know, I, I think I know how it goes. But without Habib, uh, to get to your question, I think he's in the conversation. I would still personally pick Justin Gaethje as the best 155 in the world right now because uh, I think on the feet he would give Oliver a lot of problems, and I don't know that Oliver would have the success of, of getting takedowns uh, against Gaethje. Maybe he can, and from there it certainly could be interesting. But for my money, I still think Gaethje probably is the, the number two guy in the division behind Habib or the number one now that Habib is gone. And so because of that – that's actually the fight I'd like to see them make. I know that everybody seems to think Gaethje Chandler is a foregone conclusion. I hate that fight and think it's stupid, not because for any direct reasons against Michael Chandler, except for Michael Chandler doesn't deserve that fight. Like Michael Chandler was the lightweight champion in Bellator. He isn't when he left and he hasn't had like a really, really great win in a while 
depending on how you feel about some of his competition over there. Like I would like to see Michael Chandler do what Eddie Alvarez did when he came over, which is he fought a top guy, but not, uh, we're going to give him a title shot, you know, like give Michael Chandler, Paul Felder or something like that. Oliveira Gaethje, that's, you know, should be your one, two, three, and four. If you add in the Connor Poirier rematch in the division, I think that sets up a nice little tournament to fill your vacant title fight or your vacant lightweight title. When the UFC finally comes to grips with the fact that Habib's gone. And frankly, I think Oliveira deserves it. That's probably not going to happen. And so since that's not going to happen, uh, the matchup I pitched in my column for the site this morning was uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, just because he is a former lightweight title challenger or light, lightweight champion, not even title challenger, sorry. Um, he just got that big win over Paul Felder. Dan Hooker's coming off that loss. You don't really want to do there. And maybe an RDA win while the rest of the division sorts itself out is enough to just get Oliveira, you know, not the next title shot, but the one after that if he holds on for a little bit. So I think that's the fight I'd go with. Uh, if they won't do what I'd like, but if I had the power of the pen, I'm booking Gaethje Oliveira all damn day. For up to me, Oliveira's next fight will be for the title. Like he called out the winner of Connor versus uh, Dustin Poirier. I love that idea. I think that's exactly what he should get. And if those guys, if Dustin and Connor fight for the belt, he should get the first title shot above Gaethje, above Chandler. He's deserved that. I'm I'm cool with Gaethje and Chandler fighting, and then they can fight for the title down the line. I think Oliver's I think Oliver is the guy that deserves a shot at the belt over anybody above right now. Gaethje? Above Gaethje is hard for me. Above Gaethje is hard for me. People are forgetting that Justin Gaethje. I don't know. I just I just feel I, I, even if you want to do Gaethje Oliver for an interim title, that's fine. But Charles Oliver's next fight after what he just did to Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje beat him up, no doubt about it. But he Justin got dropped Gaethje in that fight. Him. He faced adversity in that fight. Charles Oliveira faced nothing. He faced nothing. He died yeah, like he completely murked him. Yeah, but look, I'm what maybe maybe everybody doesn't agree. There's a world of difference between fighting Tony Ferguson pre Gaethje and post Gaethje. Gaethje is Robbie Lawler 2.0. When you fight him, your life is changed irrevocably unless you're Habib. Like I. I'm not saying he made it like all the way out and out easier for Oliveira, but I don't, I, I think you lose something when, when you go to a war like that. Like, I don't know that Tony gets beat that badly if he didn't already just get whooped up fighting Gaethje. Like, I think that has to be considered. Dustin Poirier has done fine. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know, man. Like, it's hard. It's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, Oliver's more impressive when he did it after the fact. Like, but you just yeah, said you don't know. We don't know if the, the ramifications of that fight. Tony's a madman. He said he was fine, and we don't know that. We don't know any of this. A lot of things are fine. He looked old, and like, if Oliver punched him once and knocked Ferguson out, I would completely agree with you. But this is this was totally different than that fight. This was. This was Oliveira hoisting him up in the air and slamming him into the mat, almost taking his arm home with him. And then anytime Tony Ferguson, who everybody said is so great off of his back, he's a crafty craftsman off of his back. Anytime you try to do anything, yeah, Oliveira stifled him with ease. Like, what is Tony <laughs> really done off his back that's made you be like, ah, this guy has a sick guard. Like he's got a great darts from a front series, but like, Outside of the triangle and Kevin Lee, has he really been like a major player off his back? Like, 
I'm in no way surprised that when Oliveira got he basically beat Danny Castillo off his back. I don't even that fight was a lifetime ago. There's no way I can remember that fight, John. I'm just saying he's a. I'm just saying. I feel like also we're there's there's some element of people getting lost in the fact that Tony Ferguson is 37 years old. If he won the title in May, he would have been the oldest lightweight champion in the history of the UFC. Like this is not peak prime Tony Ferguson we're talking about. Like if you go back and look at peak prime Tony Ferguson, he was doing some really creative stuff off his back. He's slicing people up with elbows. Like he was, that was like one of his better traits. Like I feel like we're really losing track of like where Tony Ferguson is in the grand scheme of his career because he is clearly on not even the back nine. He's probably on the back five or four, right? Like this is kind of within the next couple of years, he's probably retired. He's yeah. He's, he's not been his peak self in probably two years. Uh, I, agree. I just don't remember. I don't remember being like, ah, oh, Tony Ferguson off his back. Like he was, he's obviously good. He's a black belt under Eddie Bravo. Like he can do dead orchard tree weird shit. And that's like good. And, but it's, it's not like, oh yeah, that's a guard that is, that was just why the Habib fight was not that interesting to me from a technical standpoint. Like, okay, good luck with that. Like, have fun trying to do that. You're just going to get mangled. And that's what happened here. So, like, I am, I was way more impressed with Oliveira's takedown than with his top control. Like, his top control, good and not, I'm not trying to say, oh, that was easy and anyone could do it. But just like, no, what was impressive was the ease with which he got takedowns. And I just sort of frankly feel like it's, it's hard for me to say, yeah, Oliveira deserves this over Gaethje when Gaethje kicked that door down first. Like, that's that's a tough tough one for me to swallow. All right, fair enough. Well, let us let me ask you, Jed. Let, let's talk about Tony Ferguson. We talked about Oliveira, where he goes. We talked about where Ferguson's at now. The guy won twelve fights in a row. He never got that shot at the undisputed title. We're pouring out our our forties on the Habib fight. He's lost back to back fights. He got beaten up badly by Gaethje. This is kind of tough to watch on Saturday if you're a Ferguson fan. What's next for Ferguson? Like, what do you do now? Uh, some time off. I think he should definitely take some time off, recover, get, you know, I frankly probably shouldn't have fought again this year after the fight with Gaethje because he is older. That was a war and he should take plenty of time to recover. As far as where he goes next, it's going to be hard because unlike Sean, I have been driving the Habib bandwagon for forever and by necessity have never been a big Tony guy. And frankly, for like the last four years have pretty consistently said, I think most of the top guys at lightweight beat Tony. Um, and so 2020 banner year for me in that regard. Um, but as far as like what he does now, he's in a really weird spot because he's still a big name fighter in the division that people are going to call out because they're smelling blood in the water and he's not going to, he's going to Diego Sanchez this and have no concept that he's not, you know, the guy he once was. So he's going to want to keep taking them. He's probably in store for a couple of losses here and there's not a clean match for him. Like, the matchup that makes the most sense to me is you just do the Poirier fight. If Poirier loses to Connor, if Poirier beats Connor, Connor's not going to fight Tony. He's just not going to do that. So that doesn't happen. And so then that takes off the most obvious choice. And you look at the rest of the rankings. Do you really need to do an RDA rematch? I mean, I guess you can, but it's not appealing. Dan Hooker probably beats the shit out of him. So you really shouldn't make that fight because I don't know. We probably want Tony to win or to at least be able to look good. Paul Felder, I think he win, can win or will win that fight. I'm not sure which one of those I believe. But again, that's – I mean, you're looking at like what's probably going to be a war, and maybe we should let Tony 
get something that's not going to be a real disaster because the other thing, like the thing that I think about a lot with Tony that had, we haven't mentioned at all. Yeah. He's now in a two fight losing streak, but the back end of his winning streak, he was getting hurt like a lot. Like Kevin Lee hurt him badly. Anthony Pettis hurt him in that fight. Donald Cerrone even like had moments and hurt Tony Ferguson, like in all three of those fights, he's a wild man. He's tough as hell. And he managed to come back, but that's not confidence boosting. When your three wins, you had to overcome adversity. And now you've just had two pretty fierce ass kickings in a row. Like we should throttle back on him, give him somebody outside the top 10, or maybe just say, fuck it. And give him Islam Makachev and do an ersatz Habib fight. Let's do that. Fine. Works for me. What do you think, Sean? What would you do with, with Tony Ferguson? He is in a really rough spot, and I don't know that it's going to get better. Um, unfortunately, and that makes me really sad to say, because I think someone having the streak that he had to be able to win 12 fights in a row at lightweight, which at that, at that time was a record-breaking streak, and to never even get a shot at an undefeated or an undisputed UFC title, I think it's unquestionable probably at this point that he will most likely go down as the the best fighter in UFC history to not actually fight for a undisputed non-interim title, which is really unfortunate. And it was it's just a pure run of just unprecedented, ahistorical bad luck, where it's just unbelievable thing after unbelievable thing happening in the midst of also all this weird politics that was getting played in the for the mcgregor era and everything all these promises that were broken and weird injuries and just everything it's such a it's such an unfortunate way that this all played out um but i I, jed brushed past it to me paul felder that feels like maybe the fight for me um it is i don't want tony to fight somebody like a dustin poirier right now i don't think that that's uh good i don't for the division i don't think that's going to go well for tony i don't i also just don't think he kind of it's weird to say but i don't know that that's a fight he deserves right now either right he's kind of gotten blown out for what seven rounds in a row i mean he he did he won like one round against justin at one point but however much he's lost in a row it's 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 woodley-esque right so give this guy a step down uh paul felder feels like the right call to me you're getting guys both off losses uh, but anything, definitely not a Dan Hooker and definitely not a Dustin Poirier. Like, go downward from the division from there. I know, I know the fight. I know the fight, and I, I'm sad because I forgot the fight, and now I remembered it. The fight you make is another guy coming off two losses. Max Holloway in a battle of the angel wings. That's the fight you make right there. Give me that one all day. Fair enough. Oh, you, either of you guys can respond to this because I saw this on Twitter because me and AK host the uh, the matchmaking show. What about Nate Diaz? Prefer I don't think Nate. I don't think Nate goes for it. Yeah, I don't think Nate takes it. I mean, look, you're that's the thing with the Nate. Fight. That's the thing with the Nate Diaz fight. You have to you have to sell him on it. You have to give him a reason to want that fight. I just don't think there's any reason why he would ever want that fight right now. You could. I'm. I'm starting to think that maybe if Connor loses to Poirier, you could sell him on a Tony fight because he wins the fight. But I, it's still just hard for me to think that. Like again, yeah, he's just in a rough spot. Like I give him somebody that's he can beat, or Max Holloway because that's just fun. that's pretty cool. I don't think he beat Max, but the fight's fun. Max has got his hands full with Calvin Cater on January's. Uh, January 16th, but uh, lightweight continues to be. What's that? 
I don't believe any fight until they're in the cage at this point. Like theoretically, can't, can't argue with that. Later, but it 2021 is going to be a lot like 2020, I think. So let's just wait. All right, fair enough. But lightweight is still great. So loaded with talent at the top, just like this show. We only bring the most talented folk on the panel. And the point for this round goes to Mr. Fight Circus, Jed Mashu. He is on the board. Fascinating round. And there's still more to talk about with this card. I mean, we could do a, we could do three shows based on this card. But we have to mention this because as great as those two stories were, the title fight and Charles Oliveira's performance, in my opinion, the biggest star of Saturday night was Kevin Holland. Proves to 5-0 and in 2020. Biggest, most impactful win of his career. He knocks out Jacare in the first round. Absolutely insane finish, to say the least. And we talked about award season being upon us for the end of the year. And Kevin Holland on Saturday may have just messed up everything we thought would absolutely unequivocally happen when he got into that octagon on Saturday night. So first off, Sean Elshadi, we're going to address the big award. You sort of mentioned it, fighter of the year. We have Kevin Holland, 5-0, five wins in seven months, four finishes, six weigh-ins. Davidson Figueredo did not lose his title on Saturday, but he did not win the fight. Did Kevin Holland just become the fighter of the year on Saturday night? I think he made it a hyper-compelling and very close race, and I think it's going to come down. I think it's really going to be a 50-50 for a lot of people, right? Because it it comes down to what do you favor more? And Davis Figueredo, 3-0-1 in four title fights, three finishes in his three wins, and then the last one ends up being, if not the fight of the year, the second number two for fight of the year. I think we would all agree on that. And then Kevin Holland is is on the opposite side of that, right? None of these were ranked opposition. I don't even think Jacare was ranked. It was all sort of just sort of these late opponents, all this weird switching, really what 2020 was for a lot of people, just jumping in there at the last moment and saying, yeah, I'll do that. And Kevin Holland did, yeah, I'll do that better than anybody this entire year. And also, he just might have been the most entertaining man in MMA in 2020. The, the I had someone on Twitter, I, I, I forget the name, I, I'm sorry, I can't shout you out, but credit his chat with you, Jitsu. Which is great because that's what he is. He was distracting Jacques Array by like talking to him while he was on bottom position, telling him he had a dream about this. And hey, that was a great shot. And then all of a sudden he knocks Jacques Array out. I have been watching MMA for probably more of my life than I haven't at this point as I get up in my years. And I have never seen anything like that. I've never seen a finish quite like that. That was, it takes a lot to really just surprise me at this point. And that was stunning, man. That was incredible. Uh, you're right. Kevin Holland, one of the big, big winners of all of this. But I, I still lean, ultimately, That be, all of that being said, I think I still lean towards Figgy Pop, Figgy Smalls, Davis Figueredo, whatever we want to call him. I lean towards him taking this, the, the title fights and really what he was able to do uh, throughout the year, just really establishing himself as a, a, not only a name to watch, but just the guy who, I don't want to say, I don't want to say save flyweight, but really the first flyweight marquee attraction that we have had since the glory days of DJ. Um, I, I, I favor him, but it is so, so small of a, of a difference. It's him one, Kevin Holland two, and then there's a huge gap before you get to number three, which I would say would be Jan Blagovitz. Jed, what do you think? Because it seems like anyone who doesn't argue for Figueredo at this point, even though Holland made it like really, really close, and in a lot of people's eyes, Holland is the fighter of the year. A lot of people take penalty points away from Figueredo for missing weight in January. And Kevin Holland, 
didn't miss weight at all. In fact, he had an extra weigh in because the Trevin Giles fight didn't actually happen on Saturday. He successfully made weight. So he actually made weight six times in 2020 on top of his five wins and four finishes. Did Kevin Holland just shake things up completely on Saturday night in terms of fighter of the year discussions? You're going to be shocked to hear this, but I don't care at all that Figgy missed weight, like not even a little bit. Uh, no is a short answer. I, I still have Kevin Holland as third, actually, uh, on my list. Uh, I I think Figueredo is the clear-cut number one. Uh, I favor Jan Blachowicz as as the number two, and I'll give Holland the third spot, and I'll, I'll kind of explain why. Um, for Figueredo, it's pretty obvious. It's all the stuff Sean just said. Uh, I mean, this guy fought four times this year. Uh, four, you know, Three of them were in title fights. One of them was not whatever. But he knocked out Joseph Benavidez twice, which is incredible accomplishment. Uh, he won the won the flyweight title. He defended the flyweight title successfully with a two minute submission, and then he retained his belt with probably the second best fight of the year, and is suddenly the darling child of Dana White, a man who notoriously hates the division in which Figgy is the champion. Like he is unquestionably the fighter of the year to me, and I frankly think any other discussion is ridiculous. Uh, as far as second, like I said, I still favor Blahovich. Just, I mean, uh, I know that Blahovich only has two wins this year, but they are both KO wins, um, you know, over good ranked opposition. And to me, that's a big difference maker here. Like, if Kevin Holland had been racking up five wins against ranked opposition, be a lot more likely to to pick him here. But he hasn't. Like. It's not the reward isn't who's the most active fighter or who gets the most wins because like Travis View would be the fighter of the year every year. Like it's, it's the, the wins need to mean something. And while Holland wins were good and important to some you know, for him personally, and you know, great that he kept turning around and competing as often as he did. That you know, don't don't mistake activity for achievement, uh, and that it feels like some of Holland is just that he was very active and not that he achieved a lot. Whereas Blavich knocked out Corey Anderson and moved him out of the UFC, you know, a good win over a top 10 guy and then claims the light heavyweight title. And I know he didn't take it from John Jones, but he's still the first light heavyweight champion in a decade. That's not named John Jones or Daniel Cormier. And, you know, Sean was talking last segment about the career trajectory of Charles Oliveira you know, going from a good guy who's been around and kind of a mid-level contender to this ascension. And that's Jan Blahovich right there. Like, I know it's in a weaker division, but still, like, I want to reward his success. And I do think that fighting in title fights and fighting ranked contenders matters more so than just picking up wins. I will say that Holland, you know, Holland was probably my number three coming into this weekend anyway, but if he had lost, certainly would have dropped him down. Uh, but at least the win over Jacare is a big win and can make him pretty clear number three for me just because of the lack of activity from other champions this year. But again, you know, I, you gotta be, people gotta have numbers next to the side of their name or at least have that kind of aura. So Jacare didn't have a number, but everyone understands what a win over Jacare means. Whereas, you know, you look at Kevin Holland, uh, um, Buckley obviously turned in a great KO after the fact, but what does a win over Anthony Hernandez mean? What does a win over Darren Stewart mean? Like, I, you know, and then the other guy whose name I don't remember, um, sorry, the replacement dude, like, does that mean anything? No, I think he arguably has a case for breakout fighter of the year. 
and he's in the conversation, but I still think he's behind the two champions who did the most this year. First of all, how dare you besmirch the name of Charles Ontiveros, Jed Mishu. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Um, Hand up. It's okay. All joking. But all joking aside, there's another award that Kevin Holland has now entered his name into. And it's. Uh, I want to ask you this first, Jed, because you made interesting points on how you determine fighter of the year and some of the, the things that you weigh more than, than others. Because knockout of the year is obviously one of the big awards. And Joaquin Buckley's knockout was absolutely insane. It was incredible. It was something we hadn't seen before. And Impa Kasagani is a good fighter. He's a good up-and-comer, but he's no Jacare. Kevin Holland's KO was very unique. We haven't seen anything quite like it. It was like a pro wrestling style comeback punch from his knees that set it all up. After surviving being on the ground with Jacare in the first round, and then he just annihilates him and puts him out cold. Jacare couldn't even sit on the stool without assistance afterwards. So all things considered, the way you like to weigh things with these awards, Jed, where does Kevin Hahn rank in the knockout of the year conversation after Saturday? You know, I think for knockout of the year, I, I frankly, I consider a lot of the same things. Like, again, you can have a really great knockout, but if it comes on a regional show, like, is that as impressive as doing it, you know, against the best opposition and the best organization in the world? No, it's not. And so, you know, I, I do, I totally get where you're going here. For me, the Buckley KO is still going to probably take top spot in in my rankings because for ko as opposed to fighter of the year i do more heavily weight just the aesthetics of the knockout how different or cool it is and while hollands is certainly a little unique and you know good opposition the buckley thing is just it's some that's some movie shit right there and at some point if you're doing movie shit you know in the ufc even if it's maybe not like the greatest name in the world that like that that's just going to matter a lot. And so ultimately when I make any of these choices, uh, I always settle on a pretty clear way to pick my winner. And it's, if you ask me about it a couple years down the line, what is the knockout or the fighter or the submission that year that would, I would jump out and be like, Oh yeah, that was that year. This year it's Figueredo for fighter of the year, hundred percent. And for KO, it's still just going to be the Buckley thing because that was some ninja stuff. What do you think, Sean? I mean, at the end of the day, it is subjective. We weigh things in different ways. Excuse me. These awards. Where's Kevin Holland in your knockout of the year list after Saturday? Yeah, I agree. I think for me as well, knockout and submission of the year in particular, those two, the competition matters maybe a little bit less than they would for something like a fight of the year or a fighter of the year. Because it is, it is at this point, we're all in the, if you're in the UFC and you're doing this kind of stuff, that's just impressive enough. And the aesthetic really does matter. This to me feels very similar to uh, the year. I can't remember the particular year it was, but where it was Edson Barboza, Terry Edom. And that was before Edson Barboza was Edson Barboza. No, he wasn't, you know, a lightweight contender at that point. He was just somebody coming up. And we see something like that. And it's just like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before in my life. This has to be it. That's the that that's it. Right. That's the knockout of the year. And this is the same case for me. It's Buckley. It has to be Buckley. He did some shit that I have just never seen before in my life, something that I would never think would work uh, at a, even at a low level. Like, it's just outrageous. You even watch that again uh, months later, and it's still just baffling how that even worked out in, in his favor. He had never practiced that before in his life before that. Uh, so for me, it has to be Buckley. Uh, but I, I, I would have to look back on it. I haven't done, uh, put together my list yet, but I would assume most likely Holland's going to be my number two. 
And then last award I kind of want to touch on, Sean, and Jed sort of mentioned it, the breakout fighter of the year. And again, this one seemed like a no-brainer in July, August, September. Like, I think Holland was 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 mentioned in conversations, but Hamzat Shamayev, man, was the talk of the town. He was the bell of the ball. He made his presence felt in the first three quarters of 2020 better than anybody in the UFC. But while Hamzat, like, sort of built this momentum and it had to be put on hold through no fault of his own, Kevin Holland's momentum continued to build. And let's be honest, beating Jacare has much more weight than any of the wins Hamzat Shemaev had in 2020. In fact, it's not even close with all due respect. So did Kevin Holland end 2020 making more of an impact than Hamzat Shemaev did? Oh, absolutely. And you're right. It wasn't through any fault of his own, uh, Hamzat, because obviously the Leon Edwards situation. But it has to be Kevin Holland when it comes to breakout fighter of the year. I mean, 5-0 and oh in a span of seven months and putting the exclamation point on it with, with a, a win over Jacare. That's the signature win that you would look at when you compare the resumes, right? Hamzat Shemaya just doesn't have the signature win for 2020 that you can really put point to or, or lean back on if you're trying to make the case for him being breakout fighter of the year. Yeah, he could have. Maybe he would have won, went in there this week and just demolished Leon Edwards and we'd be having a completely different discussion. Unfortunately, he's not going to get the chance. So for me, it is Kevin Holland, and, and I don't know that there's really much of a dis- like an argument otherwise. Last thing on Holland, Jed, what would you like to see next for him? Because he called for Shamaya before when I spoke with him and then after the win. Obviously, that's not going to happen on December 19th because Shamaya is apparently going to fight Leon Edwards on January 20th. But after this year that he had... Where does he go from here? First, I just want to respond to Sean because uh, Kevin Holland is not my breakout fighter of the year. I think he's in contention and he's probably number he's number two. I think Chemayev is the breakout fighter of the year because to me, this award that's is ridiculous. the one that that's just you're just going for for who had the most Instagram followers and who was the most popular and who generated the most clicks on, on articles and stuff. The definition that's, of the award, <laughs> like nah, it, breakout not, fighter of the year is someone who well, comes from out of nowhere to all of a sudden become a true legitimate title contender out of nowhere to me. And and, and Shemaev's not a title contender right now. Kevin Holland very much is in that conversation. Kevin Holland is absolutely not a title contender. He is a top ten ranked opponent after this win. Great. Not saying he's that. going to yeah. that top ten, anybody in the top 10 is in title contention at all times. Fighting the number three welterweight. Like he came out of nowhere. And if he wins, like he is now in the same position Holland's in where he's fighting a guy like he's in the mix of the thing. Like I think of all the awards, like the KO, all of that means way more to me about who you're fighting and what you've done. Breakout fighter is just a straight Q rating. Like, more people know who Hamzat Shemaev is or right now than Kevin Holland. And by like, he wasn't in the UFC in June. Like it's to me, I think he's the breakout fighter because it's the war that is the least relevant to the quality of opposition and all that. A hundred percent. Kevin Holland beat better people like accomplished more. I'm not saying he didn't accomplish more, but looking back on this year, Hamza, this is, this is the year Hamzat Shemaev became a thing and then also, yeah, Kevin Holland became a thing. So for me, it's still Chimaev. If you want to pick Holland, okay. But I think the idea that there's not an argument is condescending and ridiculous. You're the so. king of condescension. How dare you call me on being condescending? Everyone out of your mouth is condescending. I just bring positivity, everybody. You I'm have, within the past hour and a half, you have 
insulted so many different fighters. Within the past hour and a half, you have insulted so many different fighters and said so many different fighters get their ass kicked, don't stand a chance against whoever. You are literally the most condescending person in MMA media outside of like a couple other names I could think of. And I'm not going to call out. Man, you are like in the top three of condescension. How dare you call me that? Exactly. We know our own. It's who I am. And I don't hold myself out to not be it. But your positivity and good vibes only shot over there. Sorry, good vibes out, shouty. But we just got real condescending, and that's where we're at now. So I don't even remember what oh your original God. question was, but I'm sorry. It's <laughs> okay. It is okay. That was that was worth going to the last point of this whole thing anyways that 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 last back and forth but we will end we will end this portion with this it's just an incredible year for holland 14 months ago i was in boston at the td garden but he got submitted by brennan allen and since then he's consistently said you know what in that fight all respect to brennan allen but i slipped on a banana peel that night and maybe that is true but that memory is far in the distance kevin holland a guy to watch in 2021 but that's for sure but in this matchup to watch the point goes to the challenger, Jed Mashu. He's up two to one as we head to the final question. I can't believe we're on at 70 minutes at this point. Jesus. This is insane. But uh, let's quickly go through and take a gander at this Saturday, the final event of 2020 in Las Vegas. And boy, does this card have some big shoes to fill after this past Saturday. But with what we see on paper, there is potential to give it a run. Main event, we got Wonderboy Thompson taking on Jeff Neal. First fight of 2020 for both guys. Jed, we're going to start with you. Walter Wade has been kind of at a standstill since Fight Island when Kamar Usman beat Jorge Mazadal. We got Gilbert Burns. We got Leon Edwards. We got Colby Covington. Even Hamzat Shemaev when it's all said and done. So in your opinion, Jed Mishu, what is at stake on Saturday night between Wonderboy and Hands of Steel? Nothing. Nothing is at stake. Um, look, this is a fine main event. Uh, it would have been better as a co-main, which is what it was obviously going to be. It is in no way the fight I'm most looking forward to on this card. And I'm confident you know which fight I am most looking forward to on this card and we will talk about soon. Uh, but it's a good fight. It's a good opportunity for Jeff Neal to make make his leap up, you know, at advance up the lightweight rank or the welterweight rankings against one of the most veteran names in the division, former two-time t- title challenger. And it's an important fight uh, for Wonderboy just because he needs another win to start stacking chips so he can cash them in for a title shot against Usman um, or, you know, ostensibly whoever's holding the belt if Usman is to lose it. But as far as what this matters, like nothing, because the winner isn't going to get a title shot. I mean, the winner will move – if Jeff Neal wins, he's going to move into the top – eight of the division or, or so be able to start calling for fights with those bigger names. Um, it'll be that marquee win for him. Whereas if wonder boy wins, he's basically in the exact same position. He currently is. He's still a top fighter who has access to top names. And now he'll at least have another win to leverage that into something more. Maybe um, he can get a Leon Edwards fight. If the Hamza fight ends up not fall, not happening or, or something, but yeah, I mean, from a brass tax standpoint, what Sunday, everything will be exactly the same, basically regardless of what happens from an overall, you know, view of the division. But it's a good fight, and you know, I, it's fine, like totally okay to have it as a headliner and a good opportunity for Jeff Neal. 
what do you think, Sean? Any, anything at stake here? Jed says nothing. Do you, is there something here? I mean, there are low stakes, right? Uh, every fight between ranked opponents has low stakes at least. Uh, but for me, the, the stakes are really on Jeff Neal. I mean, this is Jeff Neal's opportunity. He's been waiting uh, a while now, several a couple years now, to get really the shot at, at a top 10 guy, a guy who's maybe going to advance him up in the rankings. He's been sort of stuck in this middle ground where he's fighting the, the Bilal Muhammads and the Nico Prices and even the Mike Perrys, where it's just guys that we know are good, but they don't give you the rub afterwards. And so he's kind of been just stuck in this middle ground. And Wonderboy, he's not that, man. Like, Wonderboy is a name that everyone knows, everyone respects, and Wonderboy will vault you up there if you're able to win that fight. Uh, and also, really, it's just, I don't know that we understand how good Jeff Neal is at this point. I think he's probably one of the best fighters in this division, but I, I can't say that for sure, just because we've only seen him, what, five five times in the UFC, I think? So for me, this this weekend is all about Jeff Neal. I, this is could be his breakout moment, and he really could. Both him and Wonderboy have not fought in 2020, and they have had terrible years each uh but very different years also as well jeff neal just went through a really terrible scary health scare uh not very long ago so to be able to end the year on a, on a high note like this and maybe finally and move his himself up to a, a place where he maybe should have been if he would have gotten the right fights uh already i think that's probably the, the, where the stakes come in sean is this the most intriguing fight even on this card it's in the main event no. spot what is the what is that intriguing fight for you it's the man right behind me. It's Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo, Marlon Vera, Cheeto Vera. That fight is everything, man. That is that's the best fight uh, left in the year, which is not a. I mean, what does that mean? There's one event left, but it's a great fight, man. That is everything to me. I love. I will always stand for Jose Aldo. I feel like people, people of this current era, maybe don't have a real understanding of how great this guy is. How 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 legacy how his legacy is just pristine still regardless like he could lose 20 fights in a row and he's still going to have that legacy similar to like an anderson silva style anderson silva style thing but also Mar i love everything marlon vera has been doing man that guy has made all the right moves over the last couple of years every single step he has done has been the correct one this is a perfect one of those collisions where you're catching somebody coming down and someone coming up at the just the right time i am all in on this fight i can't wait for it i'm getting excited just thinking about it Jed, one of the tough parts of being the show, the host of this program is when you sell something, I have to take a calculated risk on, because I wanted to wait to see. I wanted to build anticipation for what your answer was going to be. And when Sean said Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera, there was a part of me that had a little chip in my heart because I was like, oh man, I wonder if that's what Jed was going to say. Did I, steal your, uh, did I steal your thunder by going to him first or is there some other way you're going here? Oh, come on. You know who I'm going with. And it's it's not what the I was gonna say esteemed, but that's not a good word. But uh, what Sean <laughs> said, it's not what Sean said. Look, I'm a I'm a big Jose Aldo guy. I think he's one of the three best fighters of all time. I still love to watch him fight. I picked him to beat Peter Jan because I am a sucker and a homer all day. Like he is the most overlooked great champion of all time in my estimation by a lot. I'm super pumped to watch that fight. But Sean, like, like the shirt I am wearing, Fight Circus, I'm going to break ground here because I'm about to give an answer that's going to mean the first time in the history of this show we don't go to a fifth question because I'm going to win it right here because the clear people's main event for this card is Michelle Bahia versus Chaos Williams. I mean, come on. One, 
Chaos Williams, the name is everything you need to know about the man. He comes in, he has monster power, he's super exciting. He's had a combined like minute and a half of fight time in the UFC or something ridiculous like that, just blowing the doors off people so far. And Michelle Pahea is he's that dude. Like he's the guy that me and AK Lee talked about on Missed Fist for you know years beforehand, because he's doing backflips, has no regard for his own safety or even smart fighting. Like he is there to put on a show. And if he wins, that is entirely ancillary. And so you're going to put that dude, one of the most ridiculous fun fighters in the sport against Chaos Williams, one of the most incredibly exciting knockout artists of you know of the recent period where we've gotten new contenders coming in like how that that fight is everything i want if that lasts 15 minutes or 15 seconds it's going to be magical and it is by far the card the fight i'm looking forward to the most in this card it's the fight i've been looking forward to the most this whole damn month 57 seconds of octagon time for Chaos Williams so wow. far. And you yeah, know what? Over. If he knocks out Michelle Fajeda, the Ox the fighter, Ox man with fighter. two nicknames. It's Caleb. so good. That's such a Chaos good nickname. Williams. I love it. He's the man. And uh, you know what? We might have another nominee for Fighter of the Year if he knocks out Michelle Fajeda. He won't win, but he's definitely in, in the top 10, right? Yeah. The thing sure. is, this fight, sure. like, we already talked about KO of the Year. And we, by the way, we didn't mention Cody Garbrandt bolting Rafael Sunsau, which shout out, I think that's my number two. But like this fight could totally give us a KO of the year because Chaos Williams might like just cold Michelle Bahia well, while he's doing like a backflip or something just insane. Might be like the Fedor Arlovsky fight, only Michelle Bahia is doing like a 360 roundhouse and just gets spiked. Like anything could happen in this fight, and I am so here for it. Oh, man. This has been an excellent show. It is delivered across the board. And uh, this is officially the Davis and Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno of Between the Links. Because you know what? Regardless of how the judges scored it, there may have been a point deduction somewhere. I want to see more, damn it. And we're going to see it. We're heading to the knockout round, ladies and gentlemen. One question decides it all. Neither gentleman knows what the question is. It's not worked. It's okay. It's okay. Listen. There is one major thing we have not hit on yet, so I think both of these guys can figure out the direction or the promotion that we are heading to, but they're each going to have 60 seconds to answer, and we'll turn it over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon, to render the final decision. Sean, you are the champion. You have the choice. Do you want this one first, or do you want to pass it on over to Jed? I will let this man go first. All right, Jed, here is the question. Bellator ends their 2020 with a brand new champion in Juliana Velasquez, two monster signings over the last week, Anthony Johnson and Yoel Romero. They've done a great job signing young talent. They've been picking off some big names. And as of right now, there's some buzz behind Bellator heading into 2021. So here's the question. It's kind of a two-parter. One, on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you to see what Bellator does in 2021? And two, if we can get there, what's the one thing you'd like to see them do that they didn't do all that well in 2020 to make their 2021 the best it can be? We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts what, right now. What was the first question again? Sorry. <laughs> on a scale, on a scale, 
<laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you to see what Bellator does in twenty twenty one? Got it. Go. Uh, nine and a half to ten. I mean, look, I'm I'm that dude. I'm the Yoel Romero dude, and they signed him. Like they signed maybe the best middleweight in the world. Like, and he gets to go in and compete. I mean, Malky Kawa tweeted today, 185, 205 heavyweight. All I've wanted for years is Yoel to just stop cutting weight and compete at 205, go up and fight heavyweights and do weird Yoel things up there where he'll be even better. Like, give me Yoel versus Vadim Nemkov. Give me Yoel versus Gegar Mousasi. Give me Yoel versus everybody in one damn night. I'm so here for it. And like, that's all they needed to do was sign him. Plus, I think there's a chance Bellator can pick up some more signees. Like, I think the thing that I think that I would like to see the most from them is something they have been publicly shying away from recently, which is pick up more UFC castoffs because they're about to be a bunch of big name fighters from the UFC let go. Uh, and I want to see that talent in Bellator. I want to see Yoel versus Jacare too. I want to see Rumble versus Yoel. I want to see all that. So give me that and, and let's do it. All right. I like the answer. Sean, we go to you. Championship on the line in these final 60 seconds. Although you could probably get 65 since Jed kind of abused his time a little bit. Same question for you. Scale 1 to 10, how excited are you to see what Bellator does in 2021? And also, if you have time, what's one thing you'd like to see them do better in 2021 that they didn't do so well in 2020? Your time starts now. I mean, I'm at a solid eight or nine at this point. Today, the the Yoel Romero signing combined with the Anthony Johnson signing just opens up a world of possibilities and doors that they could sort of explore now. Uh, That roster, especially light heavyweight, their light heavyweight roster right now is actually very comparable to the UFC's. And I can't remember a time in recent history where another promotion has had a division that is comparable. I think if you line up their top five, it's actually not like that big of a difference. The, The number one contender in the UFC right now, Glover Teixeira, has, three of his last four losses have been to current Bellator guys. Like th- this is a very weird setup that we haven't had in a long time. I'm very excited about it. And as for a thing they can do better in 2020 or 2021, two things. One, the commentary. The commentary is not very good. The production, just in general, is 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 not make for a fun watch. I don't know that the, the McCarthy Josh Thompson mix works, but also uh, the cage size. The cage is dis- is still terrible. None of this changes the fact that the cage is terrible. The circle is bad. The, it, it d- makes for a bad viewing experience. It's too big. It makes for boring fights more often than not. The cage size in general is a terrible thing and we should change it. Oh man. I, I know where this is going already. I already know where the judging is going. I know. Casey, go ahead. I know already. I already know who's going to win. Man. I had my decision picked about 15 seconds left, and then you had to go to the cage. <laughs> you. Oh. Started oh. that cage after the time it expired, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Can we go to... Sudden to, death. Oh man. Okay. 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 I got it. There's only five rounds. Your winner. Oh, this hurts. This hurts. And new Jed Mushu. Oh, I can wow. always tell a little bit that Casey seems so pained by the fact that he's gonna pick <laughs> I can hear it in his voice. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. 
I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I thought when Sean mentioned the cage size, I was like, it's a wrap, dude. I, I, I thought it was over. It was uh, well done. Know, I agree. I was a little concerned when Sean went to the cage. My one saving grace is that he, Casey was just, he's being a gentleman and doing what you didn't have the guts to do because Sean knows I worked it in the fourth and you just didn't have the balls to call it there. So Casey just covered it back. Me and Michelle Behar are not. This is all very ridiculous. This is all very ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that guy said I agree with Sean about seven different times on this show. I don't know how that happens. Casey, I thought we were friends. Uh, I don't believe in your cage crusade anymore, and and I can't believe you just did this to me. Wow. Uh, Embrace the dark side, Sean. It's it's very liberating to just let all that hate out. See, here's what here's the problem. Jed likes to talk over people, so I just like let him kind of talk for like he's basically had like seventy five percent of the airtime over the last hour, and I've kind of just let it happen because he's just a very verbose guy, and I'm I'm watching him, I'm enjoying watching him talk. I should have just cut him off at certain points, apparently, because the rules yeah. are just not the rules are not applied at all on this show whatsoever. So it's fine. It's a oh, lesson. Look, I, I might have scored this by pride rules. I'm just saying I might have judged this by pride rules. I'm just. <laughs> Sean, one of the first things they teach you in law school is if you have the facts, you argue the facts. And if you, if you, uh, I don't remember the middle part, but if you don't have the facts or the law on your side, you just get really loud. And I'm really good at that. <laughs> That's where I you're thrive. really, you're really good at it. And the weird part of Zoom and all of this is that if somebody starts talking and then somebody starts talking over them, the the volume cuts out, right? So when your volume cuts out, I try to be a gentleman and I like, oh, let's hear what Jed has to say. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't hear what Jed has to say. You got me in the fourth round because literally the fourth round was ninety percent Jed Mishu talking. But it's fine. It's whatever. We've now by listening to what I have to say. So we have now faced off three different times. You eventually won one. It was bound to happen. You're very good at this sort of thing. I would assume that you would eventually win. I'm surprised it took this long, frankly. And frankly, the judge who decided in your favor didn't even want to. So, you know, that's fine. Pride rule, baby. Silver lining. Silver lining. All right, Jed, you get 30 seconds to uh, to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Good, bad, and different in the sport of MMA. You've been uh, very heartwarming with your 30 seconds these last couple of victories. What would you like to say here? Yes, please. We yeah. haven't heard enough from Jed Mishu today. Let's give him more time. <laughs> I agree. We've never heard enough from him. Uh, the, the one big thing that I had wanted to talk about was the OL signing, and then we, we ended up covering it. So I don't have much to say. Except oh, man, this is great. It's starting off awesome. Suck it out, Shotty. You can come back whenever you'd like to get this work again. Happy to hand these hands to you. And uh, everybody, I don't know if we're doing one next next week or not. Are, are we, Mike? Yeah, we'll do one. We'll do one more next okay. week. Okay, well, I was going to say Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. I don't remember if Hanukkah's over now or not. My bad. This Sorry, is such a killer. But, uh, this is such a killer final yeah. segment. Every, everyone have, have a good day. And the rightful champ is, is now here. So we can all sleep easy tonight. I'm really glad we could hear a bunch of jabbering and everyone have a great day. That's, that's <laughs> good stuff. Sorry, I'm trying to feel. What happened to positive Sean over here? Getting real heated. <laughs> Mr. Positivity. Casey, you suck. Everything's a lie. I've lost and this is trash. Oh, man. Oh, man. The championship trilogy <laughs> is going to be epic. It's going to be epic. Oh.
Oh, I love I'm already two to story. one. What are yeah. we talking about? The last the one championship trilogy. Oh, okay. All right, that's fair. Championship trilogy is fair. Well, didn't we make a big deal about the first match about how there's all sorts of belts on the line <laughs> that were made up? Yeah, like a number one contender Wasn't that right? There was no know. title. There wasn't even an interim title on the line in the first meeting. It was like an exhibition so, mode. Some sort of BMF belts and all sorts of things. I don't know what goes on in this show. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, is circus. this is Fight Circus Volume 2. This is why this shirt is now undefeated on this program, just so we're clear. Undefeated oh, shirt. This is what all you right, caused, This is your fault. <laughs> We got to get out of here. We have been at this far too long. Uh, thank you very much for watching this week. What a battle it was. It was everything I hoped for and more. For Jed Mishu, Shad Al Shadi, I am Mike Keck. Big shout out to Casey on the production. Esther Lynn, the iconic voice, taking you in and taking you out. We'll see you back here once again between the links next week. Enjoy UFC Vegas 17 on Saturday. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. Brought to you by MMA Fighting, a production of Vox Media. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.